well, I suspect even the Lord uh, wonders that. Amen? Amen? He said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4. Before I read our text today, let me introduce the message by reminding you very briefly of the first part of this chapter where throughout that section we are commanded to walk Christ-like. I don't think there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know that that's what we ought to do. Amen? I mean, we call ourselves Christians. Certainly, we ought to be like Christ. But beginning with verse number 17 and on through this chapter and the section we're looking at today, here we are told that we ought to walk consistently. Let me explain. A lot of times, our profession and our practice are in discord. In other words, our beliefs and our behavior don't agree. We say one thing, and yet we do another. I think that's indicated in the song Brandon just sang. And a lot of times the world, uh, you know, we do as the world does instead of as Christians should. And, and I hope this morning that by the end of the message it will help us to consistently walk in Christ likeness. And, and I trust you'll listen very carefully. I really thought about giving this message the title of how to get rid of your old man, like I said last week, but I was afraid the women might think I was talking about a divorce, so I, I'm not going to do that. I, the title of the message is called The New Man. And this is a picture of conflict. It's a conflict that's going on within. It's a personal struggle that every Christian faces. And Paul tells us in this section that there are two opposing factors. There is what he calls the old man and what he refers to here as the new man. And if we're going to live victoriously, it's essential that we understand this. And this makes this message very important. I hope that it won't be like one story. I heard about these three fellows, a doctor, a lawyer, and a preacher all went deer hunting. And so they get out there, and I mean, before they even get started good, this gigantic buck jumps up and runs out there and stops and looks. And I mean, all of them throw their gun up to their shoulder, and boom, boom, boom. They all shot. The old deer fell over dead. But they have no idea who killed him. So they go up there. Well... The game warden was nearby, and uh, hearing the shots, he came over to investigate and uh, got in on the discussion. You know, we shot him, but we all shot. We don't have any idea who killed him. And so the game warden said, well, you know, let me examine him. There's one hole right inside of the deer's head. And uh, the, the game warden said, well, that's easy to figure out. The preacher killed him. And the doctor and the lawyer said, well, how can that be? How can you tell? I mean, how in the world could you know the preacher killed him? He said, it's easy. There's just that one hole. It went in one ear and out the other ear. So, <laughs> so I hope the message doesn't go in one ear and out the other ear this morning. It's really, 
as I said, none of us, none of us can live victoriously unless we understand what we're going to be talking about here this morning. Before a person is saved, they are spiritually dead. They might be, they are certainly very much alive physically. They're strong and they're active and they're healthy physically, but spiritually they're dead. That is, they're separated from God. They have a sinful nature without one spark of goodness whatsoever. But the very moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you become a new person. You become somebody that you've never been before. I love what one preacher said many years ago, if you're saved, you're all tomorrows and no yesterdays. Isn't that great? All tomorrows, no yesterdays. The past is gone forever. No record of sin against you whatsoever. You now have a new nature, and that new nature causes you to begin to change. But even though we are in the process of changing, although we are now a new person, there is still a conflict that's going on within us. And the Bible refers to that opposing factor as the flesh. Now, I know a lot of times when the Bible uses that word flesh, it's in reference to our physical bodies. But, The Bible also uses the word flesh to refer to our human frailty, especially our tendency to sin. You see, we all have a propensity to sin. I mean, that, that is, that's just what we do. We are, uh, we're sinners, and as a result of that, we sin. We don't need anyone to teach us how to sin. That's just natural. But when he refers to the flesh, he's talking about that frailty of the flesh, the tendency to sin. You might put it this way. You might say the flesh is that part of you that is wanting to act independent of God. That part of you that wants to focus on self instead of God. And although we are no longer in the flesh, the flesh is still in us. And it's our duty... To mortify, that word simply means to put to death or to render inoperative the deeds of the flesh. And that's what Paul is talking about in our text. So, that's enough introduction now. I want us to look at our text, and there's three lines of thought here that I want you to notice. You could sum it up like this. Ye were, ye are, ye be. Ye were, ye are, ye be. So you could say that this conflict is all about being who you are. Well, who are you? You are a new creature in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And as a result of that, we are to live Christ-like consistently. To do that, we need to do three things. First of all, we have to recognize our sinful Tendencies. Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart 
who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, we could spend hours talking about these verses here, but I want to just sum it all up. Notice that first word, therefore. It simply means so. And the word therefore tells us that what Paul is about to say is based on what he has just said. Well, what did he say? He's been telling us that we are to be Christ-like. I mean, we've been born again, we're new creatures, we're now God's children, and the result of that is that we are to be like Jesus Christ. That means that we must be radically different from the world. We can't be like the world and be like the Lord Jesus Christ all at the same time. So here we are with the command to be like Jesus Christ and yet with a tendency to sin. The songwriter knew what he was talking about when he wrote the words, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. All of us feel that way at some time or another. That inclination in our heart to resist the leading of the Holy Spirit, to ignore His warnings, to neglect the commandments that He's given to us. So we're talking about recognizing our sinful tendencies. And I'm talking to Christians, those that have been saved, recognizing your sinful tendencies. To do that, I have to recognize the presence of sin. We don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to deal with that. Paul recognized the presence of sin in his life. In Romans chapter 7 especially, Paul really digs down deep within him and just bears his soul as to the struggle that's going on in his life. You might not believe it, but do you realize there are some folks who believe that after we're saved that we can finally reach that place that we can live above sin? Sounds amazing, right? There are people that believe that. It all started with John Wesley and what was called the holiness movement many years ago. Today it's carried on by most of the, uh, the, the, the Methodist churches and the Church of the Nazarene. By the way, you can find either one of those just across the road out there. Isn't it amazing that people will, will attend churches and join churches and not even have a clue at what they really believe? You know, my Bible tells me that if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. The truth is not in us. Why in the world would you join a church that teaches that you can eventually live above sin in this world? I've got news for you. As long as you're in this body, you're going to sin. Regardless of how much of the Bible you know, regardless of how much you work, regardless of how much you give, or whatever else you do, you're going to sin till the day that you die. And we have to recognize the presence of sin in our life. But also, we have to recognize the purpose of the old man. Now remember, I said the old man 
is that inclination to live independent of God. The old man is that part of you that wants to, uh, wants to please self instead of pleasing God. What is the purpose? Look at verse 22. He says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is, notice, corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now let me make this simple. The purpose of the old man, that sinful part of you as a Christian, is to deceive, to defile, and to destroy. You see, that tells us something about human nature. Do you realize that by nature, man is self-destructive? I mean, we dis- that's what God said. He said, my people have destroyed themselves, and that's exactly what people do. I mean, many times knowing that they're doing wrong, knowing the consequences, knowing that they're putting themselves at risk, they'll go right ahead, ignore God's warnings, and do what they want to do. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now listen, neighbor, he's talking to Christians. And he says simply, listen, if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. Well, you say, everybody's going to die. Yeah, but not everybody's going to die prematurely, and you are. You live after the flesh. You ignore the Word of God. I promise you... You'll die prematurely. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And we need to recognize these sinful tendencies within each and every one of us. Secondly, we need to refuse our sinful temptations. Again, look at verse 22. Notice the words, put off. If you put off. And he's talking about those things that are related to the old man. What you used to be. And this is a command. I mean, it's an obligation. It's not an option here. Put off that old manner of life. And and the idea, the picture, is that we put it off like we would put off a soiled garment. Get rid of it. When you, you know, been out in the field working and garment is all soiled, it's dirty, it's stinking, you haven't changed clothes in a week, he says, put it off. You know, the amazing part is why in the world should someone have to beg us to put off our old manner of life? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't, wouldn't a beggar gladly exchange his old rags for a new suit of clothes? Well, sure he would. You go out here on the street and find some old beggar that hadn't changed clothes in, in a month and dirty and filthy, and you say, hey, come on, go with me. I'm going to take you down here to the department store. I'm going to buy you the very best designer clothes and new shoes on your feet. Why, they'd take you up on that in a minute. Surely they would. So why wouldn't we put off the old man? Now remember, Paul has already described their former condition. And boy, listen, it's an ugly, horrible picture. 
There in the first part of chapter 2, he talks about being dead, as it were. And you notice in the verses we already read, they walk in the vanity of their mind. Verse 17, verse 18, having the understanding darkened, they're alienated from the life of God through ignorance and blindness and so forth. Why would we want to retain in our life those things that are going to identify us with the old life? Why would we want to go back to the old life after we've been delivered? He says we are to walk worthy. Look back at verse number 1. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You see, God has called all of us unto a life of holiness. He's called all of us into a life of service. Remember, we represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the manner in which we represent Him is so very important that if we misrepresent Him, there are those that could end up rejecting Him because they've been given false information. And you and I need to be mindful of that. Whether it's your classmates, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, whoever it is, the people watching you, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And you've got to wonder, what kind of message are you sending? You see, whenever we continue to act as we as we conducted ourselves before we were safe, and we keep doing that, it ends up, hurting others, it ends up grieving the heart of God and it's going to ultimately cost us our lives. So victory comes as a result of us, number one, recognizing our sinful tendencies. Number two, refusing our sinful temptations. That is saying no, rejecting them. Listen, you... If you're a child of God, you don't have to cave in to every sin that comes down the road. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. We sin not because we are forced to, but because we choose to. We need to refuse those sinful temptations. Then thirdly, we need to replace our sinful traditions. Look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on, what? The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, whenever I talk about traditions, I'm talking about customs or practices, just as it's described in the, in the dictionary. And we're talking about replacing our sinful Traditions, In other words, those things that we once did by nature. He says, put off those things, discard those things. And notice he says, and put on the new. As a Christian, we ought to avoid sin like the plague and put on the garments of holiness, right? Okay, we know how, what we ought to do, but how do we do that? Nobody would disagree whenever I say, as Paul did here, we ought to get rid of that old junk that was in our life. We ought to walk in newness of life. We all agree with that, but how can it happen? 
how do we get from point A to point B? Well, there's two things that we need to remember. Number one, our attitude must change. That's clear in verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, Christians have been changed. Are you listening? They've been changed and they are being changed. But because, you see, whenever the Lord saves us and He starts this process in our life, He starts changing our life. We're not what we used to be, but none of us have yet arrived at a state of perfection. And because we haven't, we ought to constantly be changing. Now, if we're going to be changing, that means there has to be an adjustment of attitude. That's what we're talking about. That's what He says here. That be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Perhaps you'll remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. You'll remember, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, with the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If our life is going to change, if we're going to continue to change, as it were, into the likeness of Christ, there has to be a change in our attitude. But not only that, our actions must conform. Attitude must change. Actions must conform. That's what he's talking about in verse 24. Put on. You put off something, but listen, you've got to replace it with something. You put it off. But you can't live in a vacuum. You can't be neutral. It's not a, just a matter of putting off things and saying, well, you know, I quit this and I quit that, and so now I've stopped all of those sins, but there are things to be put on also. Because if you don't put on the new man, you'll revert back to the ways of the old man. So not only does your attitude have to change, your actions also must, must change here. And notice... This lays the responsibility right on our doorstep. Paul says, put on. Some folks have the idea and promote this idea in what they call the deeper life. And their theory is this, just let go and let God. Oh, that sounds so spiritual, right? Just let go. You know, stop trying and just start trusting, they say. Just let go and let God. I've got news for you. God expects something from you. God is not going to do for you what He has commanded from you. And so he says, put off the old manner of life and put on the new. In other words, we have to exercise our will. Now think about it. Let's go back to square one. Here we are. We just received Jesus Christ as our Savior. So now we are a new person. You see, we inherited our old sinful nature at birth. We inherit our new nature when we're born again. And he tells us now, since you've been born again as a result of that, that you're in this process of changing, put on the new man. I love the way Kent Hughes 
described it. He said it's not a, God didn't tell you to weave it, he told you to wear it. And that's good. It's not a matter of us working to make ourselves acceptable to God. It's a matter of us appropriating what God has already provided. So that means every day of my life, I need to be setting aside those rotten, filthy, stinking garments of the flesh, the, the old man. I have to reject that sensual lifestyle that displeases God and put on the new man. That is to wrap myself in the newness of life, to put on the shining garments, you see, of, of who we are. In other words, we have to put on who we are. We have to be who we are. Who are we? We're the children of God. Who are we? We say we're Christians. Then act like it. And notice what he says here in the last words of this section. He says, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That phrase, after God, means in the likeness of God. Put on the new man which is in the likeness of God. The new man that's created like the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice how he describes this. He uses two words. He uses the word righteousness and the word holiness. Those same two words are found over in Luke chapter number 1, where it says in verse 75, "...in holiness and righteousness before Him all of the days of our life." The same two commands, the same two obligations. That we be righteous and that we be holy. That covers our relationship with our fellow man. That covers our relationship with God. We are righteous and we are holy. But notice, it said all of the days of our life. In other words, we are never at liberty to do otherwise. We're to put on this new man all of the days of life. There's no vacation from our vocation. We're always on duty. We're always to be righteous, regardless of the situation. Every single day, as long as we live, wherever we are, whatever the circumstances, we have an obligation before God to be righteous and to be holy. The problem is, too many of us are like the old fellow said many years ago, he said, I've been a Christian off and on for nearly 40 years now. And I suspect more off than on, don't you? You see, that's not the Christian lifestyle at all. Each and every day of our life, I mean, you get up in the morning, what do you do? You put on your clothes. You get up and dress yourself, as it were. And as believers in Jesus Christ, as His people as those who are obligated to walk in the likeness of Jesus Christ, we are to put off those old things that would identify us with the world and put on those things that typify the Lord Jesus Christ, those that reflect His image to others. And those things are characterized by righteousness and true holiness. So, bottom line, here's the question. How is it with you? Have you 
Number one, recognize your sinful tendencies. Number two, have you refused sinful temptations? If the truth is known, some of you are giving in every time you turn around. You're not making any effort to resist temptations in your life. You're just giving in over and over again. You get up in the morning and what do you do? You put on those same old dirty, filthy, rotten, stinking, sinful clothes or lifestyle that you were living back before you received Christ as your Savior. You might be saved and on your way to heaven, but nobody can tell it because you're living like hell. The people do that every day. And come to church and sit through the service and act like, wow, there's nothing wrong with me. And you don't recognize the sinful tendencies in your life and you refuse to refuse the sinful temptations in your life. So the question is, have you? And then thirdly, have you replaced those sinful traditions of life? Can we honestly say this morning, That we're living a life of righteousness and holiness before God? That's the way it ought to be for each and every one of us. Now, none of us do it perfectly. I understand that. But there are some that I mean absolutely making no effort whatsoever. I remember years ago I was talking to someone about a certain person. In fact, it's someone I just met. And got to talking to them, and I said, you know, I know somebody that works there at the same place you work. And they said, uh, really? I said, yeah, it's one of our church members. And I went on and on and talked a little while and said, well, what's the person's name? And I told them. And they said, really? They're, they're a Christian? They're a member of your church? Wow, I realized I'd stepped in a mess. The world ought to be able to tell that there is a big difference. If I, uh, if I had got up this morning and put on an old, dirty, filthy pair of, of coveralls, let's say. I, I was cleaning out the garage here a while back, and I found a pair of, uh, of coveralls out there that, well, they'd been there a long time. They're filthy, dirty, just wadded up in a box somewhere. But what if I would got up this morning and put those on and, you know, not shave, not comb my hair, just come dragging up here? I, 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 I suspect most of you would figure something's really wrong with the preacher today. I'm telling you folks, when you claim to be a Christian and people look at you and all they see is that sinful aspect of your life, they've got no reason to believe that you're really a child of God. We're talking about the new life, the new man, and if you're saved, you are a new person. You ought to be what you are. Let others see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in a person's life. Do you recognize these sinful tendencies and are you refusing those sinful temptations in your life? Are you replacing those with righteousness and holiness before the Lord? 
I mean, can you honestly, as we come down to this part of the service where we extend an invitation for us to do business with God, can you honestly say this morning, you know, I can't think of a thing in this world that I need to repent of. I can't think of anything I need to pray about, nothing I need to do. I'm good to go. Because you see, that's exactly the way we act week after week after week. And if the truth is known, someone this morning, maybe a lot of us this morning, needs to put off those old, dirty, ragged, filthy clothes that identify us with the past and put on the garments of holiness that others can see that we're a Christian. I've got one more word, and I'm through. Thirty seconds. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand this. That regardless of what you do, you can give up all of those old habits and everything else. You can start a new lifestyle. You can attend church. You can sing in the choir. You can teach a class. And you can do all of those things and die and go to hell until, first of all, you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So that's where it begins, right there. So don't get the idea that I'm trying to tell you that you can be right with God by just getting rid of these things and putting on these other things because it won't work that way. You've got to become a child of God before you can live the life of one of God's people. And your need is not reformation, it's regeneration. You need to be born again. Will you trust Him this morning? As we stand together and as God's Spirit deals with our heart, as He speaks to us today about His will for our life, what would God have you to do? Father, I pray this morning that You'll accomplish what what only You can. Lord, that You'll bless Your Word, that the Holy Spirit might move on our hearts. And Lord, even if it's embarrassing, even if it's difficult, Heavenly Father, that we will humble ourselves and confess our sins and adorn ourselves in the garments of righteousness. And Lord, help folks understand those that are walking according to the flesh. They're risking their life, putting themselves in jeopardy every moment. And Lord, I know that there's no way I can frighten them into getting right. But I know the Holy Spirit can make it so real that they'll be miserable until they do. Save the soul that's nearest hell. Change your children today, especially this one behind the pulpit. In Jesus' name, as we lift our voice in song, if God's speaking to your heart today, would you come? Part, he does know our heart.
Would you be seated for just a minute, please? I've been preaching over 40 years now, and uh, boy, I'm not perfect, and I sure got a lot to learn. I don't know it all. And I realize that Sunday morning's never a good time to, you know, to deal with any kind of problems or whatever. Uh, you, you, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes we, as God's people or members of the church, we, we, did, we don't get it. And I'm going to use the word visitor, although we normally don't, and we refer to visitors as guests, but I'm going to use the word visitor for a reason. When we have visitors walking out the door, talking about, you know, how, you know, they, this is great, that's great, people are friendly and all of this, but there's something wrong. And when I hear that, and I've been saying it, Bev can tell you for a month now, there's something bad wrong going on. I don't know what it is, and I've seen it before again and again and again. And later on, maybe six months down the road, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's revealed, and then, and I've seen this happen over and over again, then everybody said, well, I understand now. I can see why nothing's happening. Nobody being saved, nobody being baptized, nobody joining the church, nobody confessing sin, nobody praying about anything. Now I understand. How could the Holy Spirit work with that kind of stuff going on? I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you folks, I'm smart enough to know after all of these years, there's something wrong. And the only reason I'm bringing this up Don't you get the idea that I'm discouraged because I'm not. I'm bringing it up because, folks, listen, God's business is too important for us to just keep pretending everything's all right when it's not. So, I just mentioned that we need need to be much in prayer. How in God's name can we just walk out every Sunday just like everything's okay, you know, and... uh, I don't know what else to say. I just want, I just, as your pastor, in my best judgment, there's something bad wrong that needs to be fixed. And uh, we need to pray and pray and pray and pray until it breaks through. And, And God does whatever He's got to do to fix it. You don't know how hard that is for me to say when I look out there and I see we've got guests here. But let me tell you, and I've thought about it a lot, what do you think those guests think whenever we just ignore it? And they know something's wrong. And just to ignore it. We need a revival. That's what we need. I'm not talking about a revival meeting where we bring someone here to preach. We need an old-fashioned revival that will bring tears to our eyes and drive us to our knees. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. Would you stand, please, as we dismiss in prayer? Bubba Mills, would you word our prayer for us today, please?